Going on 14. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 296 of 40 Going on 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And if you think it's creepy that we constantly refer to him as sexy Michael Kane, you should read all of Joel's Michael Kane Noel Coward slash fan fiction. <laughs> oh. Dude, my last one had Truman Compote in it. Got a little bit of the blood pudding, if you know what I mean. Ew, I do I know what you mean, and I don't uh, like it. If you like blood pudding, <laughs> you you might like the shows on the Podcast Collective, such as Joel's Own the Sunshine Happy Pants Hour. The K is silent. <laughs> I Am Salt Lake. Tales from the Hard Side. The Portland Beer Club Podcast. And, of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. <laughs> Are you done? Wow. Wow. <laughs> 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 yeah, if you're looking for our older stuff, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher Talks You, NoonFM.com, we're all over the place. We've You can basically search for us online and find all sorts of ways to listen to us. You know, like at work, quietly. Don't play us at work. Slowly. Slowly I turn. <laughs> From the shitter. Step by step. Step. Niagara Falls. All right. Um, I didn't mean to get him started, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all right. What it uh, is. If you want to give us a call, it's a 708. Now wrap that 708 669 9727. Yeah, we thought we had a voicemail, but it was just a guy with a giant beard that we met at Gen Con. Yeah, he didn't just have a giant beard. He had a giant candy beard, actually. Yeah, cotton Dan- candy colored beard. Daniel, right? It was Daniel? Yeah, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Hi. Hey, Daniel. I'm going to assume Hi, Daniel. in my mind your beard is made out of cotton candy, but I haven't tasted it to verify. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. think he's actually listening. He just got one of our cards mm-hmm. so he could contact us about Instant Game Show. What if he well, is listening? If you are listening, Mike wants to taste your beard. Lick it. That's not weird. And now he's not listening. He was. (laughs) Speaking of listening, anyone who uh, came directly to this show from last show may be confused. Like they were caught in a brief time loop. Because I'm not sure what the end of the show last week claimed this show is going to be. Yeah, there was a little bit of a time skip um, in some show posting and whatnot. And the numbers, because iTunes doesn't let us put numbers in the titles anymore. Some things got a little wonky, but we caught back up. Yes. All they say is true. His point being, this may not be the show we promoted last show, but... Uh, You've probably it, already heard the show we promoted last show. Anyway. Yes. Listening in order. So, yeah. About that time? It's about that time. Please. This weekend... Music... Movies and TV <laughs> and sports. Wow, the Josh Dubstep remix. We haven't heard that in like a year and a half. No, it it's got to be longer me. than that. It still gets me. Still gets Joel every time. Move. Well, I mean, what doesn't really? I mean, it got uh, him so bad he forgot to and sports us. I did and sports. <laughs> you did? Ah, uh, well, I'll fix it in post. No, you won't. <laughs> no, you won't. No, I won't. 
This shit goes straight to post. Because I get it at sports. There you go. Hey, he's there. All I right. Said it. The uh, twee for this week is March 14th, 1933, which is the birth date of sexy Michael Caine. Yeah, I'm thinking anybody that says that, like, in this one where we're talking about their career, they're probably dead. We can probably bypass the entire uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they were, like, born. There's a lot of borns. So. Yeah. All right. All right. So, Joel, music. Music. The number one song in the land was Stormy Weathers by Ethel Waters. Yep. I know that song. Yep. You should know that I song. I know that song. Ethel Waters, huh? Do I know that song? Like a bridge over at the waters. I don't think that's how it goes. I think it's like this. Don't know why There's no sun up in the sky Stormy weather Ooh. See, you know it. I know that song. I was going to say, don't tell me you actually had never heard that. No, no, no. I have heard that. I just didn't, rec- you know. Gotcha. The title didn't ring the bell. Title did not ring the bell. You know what? I That era of music is always good for me. Like rainy weather, cup of tea type of thing. Joel was trying to say something there and he got trampled. Was he? That's all right. Don't make me regret stopping this for you, Joel. What did you say? I said it's just been covered by so many people. Oh, that is true. It's been covered by lots of people, but that's the I think that's the original. I think Joel's collected uh connected to us by satellite phone. <laughs> on like a ten second delay. <laughs> you got a fairlight excalibur, it's just a little bit lagging. As a nerd joke. Nerd joke. You mean a basic IBM keyboard with a things glued to the side of his head? <laughs> the cord glued to the side of his head? That they zoomed in on? <laughs> okay. So, born on March 13th, composer Michael Stoller was part of a songwriter, songwriting and re- record-producing duo with lyricist Jerome Lieber. They found success as the writers of such crossover hit songs as Hound Dog and Kansas City. Later in the 1950s, particularly through their work with the Coasters, they created a string of groundbreaking hits, including Youngblood, Searchin', and Yakety Yak. They were first to surround African-American music with elaborate production values, enhancing its emotional power with the Drifters and There Goes My Baby, which influenced Phil Spector, who studied their productions while playing guitar on their sessions. Lieber and Stoller wrote hits for Elvis Presley, including Love Me, Jailhouse Rock, Loving You, Don't, and King Creole. They also collaborated with other writers such on such songs as On Broadway, written with Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil, Stand By Me, written with Benny King, Young Blood, written with Doc Pomus, and Spanish Harlem, co-written by Leeper and Phil Spector. They were sometimes credited under the pseudonym Elmo Glick. In 1964, they launched Redbird Records with George Goldner and focusing on their girl group sound. In all, Lieber and Stoller wrote or co-wrote over 70 chart hits. They were inducted into the rock and uh, damn it, inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1985 and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987. I like 90% of every song that has just been spoken of. Yeah, that's the thing is I didn't know who these guys were, but like knowing that they wrote 
all of that stuff. Like, I'm glad they did what they did. Yeah, you guys, yeah. yeah, you guys have not heard of Libra and Stoller? I mean, honestly, they, they were like song, yeah, I, legendary. I have Patrick. Okay, yeah, yeah, they were okay, legendary. yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess when it comes to music production, if you're not like Quincy Jones, I probably don't know who you are. Oh, well, what a coincidence. Yeah, nice. you like that uh, segue yeah. there? Yeah, that was nice. Oh. Speaking of, Quincy Delight Jones Jr. was born March 14th. He is an American record producer, multi-instrumentalist, singer, and film producer. His career spans over 60 years in the entertainment industry with a record 80 Grammy Award nominations, 28 Grammy wins, and a Grammy Legend Award in 1992. Good Lord, I'm reading this weird. He was named one of the most influential jazz musician musicians of the 20th century by Time Magazine. All you need to know is he is responsible for all of Michael Jackson's career. And responsible for Rashida Jones. Yes. And mm. responsible for pooping. Yeah, you lost the momentum there, dude. Yeah. I don't know I'm not sure what you were going with that, but it was bad. I'm trying to get used to this whole. Thing if you really, there. if you really can't come up with a third thing that Quincy Jones is known for, that Poop that is not like, that, re- to. that reflects badly on you, Joel. You're the music guy, and the third thing you go for for Quincy Jones is he poops. Shame on you. <laughs> you said poop. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, maybe he poops in like a really awesome baseline. <laughs> I mean, like when he does it, it's like boom, 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 boom. I mean, he's one of the most influential men in the world. I mean, he may he may have all kinds of like new ways of pooping we've never even heard of. Yeah. Okay. Right, let's just move on to movies. <laughs> the num Quincy. The number one. Jones. Damn it, Joel. <laughs> I'm allowing you to move on. All right, movies. The number one film in the land in 1933, the month of March, was King Kong. I mean, that tracks. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the King Kong. I, I was gonna say it's about the only movie from 1933 I know. Yeah. Oh, there's got to be more. Well, there's you three think? more mentioned. There's a bunch more mentioned here in the tweet. So let's. All right. Quincy Jones, Poop Master. That came out. I think. All right. You know what? I can mute you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On March 15th, actor Cary Grant sustained a facial injury and Frederick March and Jack Oakey escaped unscathed after a bomb being used in the filming uh, of the American war drama T-E-A-T-H exploded prematurely on the set. I'm pretty sure the acronym of the week T-E-A-T-H stands for totally exploding all the honkies. Oh, so this was 1933. Honkies did not get exploded back then, Josh. No, that was uh, the eagle and the hawk. The eagle and the hawk. You were very close. Okay. All right. (laughs) I stand corrected. (laughs) Movies released this week included Fast Workers, King of the Jungle, and 42nd Street. Well, I didn't know any of those, so... You don't know. The, the, wait, wait, wait! You don't know Forty Second Street? Really? Not Miracle on Forty Second Street. Just Forty Second. No, just Forty. Yeah, just Forty Second Street. Yeah, no. Nope. What? Really? I can't believe I'm in the same boat with Joel on something here. What the hell? I am disappointed. I don't know what that is. For <laughs> apparently, it was some sort of musical. It was. Yeah, it was like one of the. 
Okay, I vaguely remember a song called 42nd Street, but I, I never saw the movie. Okay, well, all right. I'm just tossing those out there. 1933 movies, Duck Soup, The Invisible Man, Wax Museum. Okay, yeah, you got me on the first one with Duck Soup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a, a lot of great... I mean, I, I don't know if you guys ever watched like RKO, old RKO movies, but this sort of thing is just the stuff that I was brought up on, so... I concur. All right. Gloria McMillan, born on March 13th, was an American actress who is perhaps best known for her work in old time radio. She was known for her role as Harriet Conklin, the student of Miss Brooks and the daughter of Principal Osgood Conklin in the popular 1950s sitcom, Our Miss Brooks. I believe we've talked about this before. Yeah. And just just to clear things up, that belonged in TV, but movies didn't have enough bullet points. So... (laughs) TV. Yeah, we've discussed Armis Brooks before. Yeah. So I believe um, you. Uh, so TV. The top shows in the land were not available because nobody was writing that stuff down in 1933. They were barely uh, ex- exploring what TV was at the time. So yeah, maybe we should pay attention to this, what they're watching. Um <laughs> On March 12th at 10 p.m. Washington time, President FDR gave the first of his fireside chats to the American public in a nationwide radio broadcast to explain why he declared a bank holiday. The term fireside chat was coined by CBS to describe Roosevelt's second address on May 7th. All Roosevelt delivered in all, all Roosevelt delivered 28 live fireside chats, the last on June 12th, 1944. And he, funny enough, also delivered 28 fireside chaps. Or not. You've got a different definition of funny. That's funny. Funny how? (laughs) Funny like, ha-ha. Born March 12th in Bethel Park, Pennsylvania, Barbara Feldon was an actress best known as Agent 99 on Get Smart. We did that show. We did. Yeah. I bet she pooped too. You you got you got some issues there, Joel. I'm not lying. Lions poop. Hmm. Hmm. That is true. He says, trying to get out of this conversation. Oh, <laughs> uh, Renee Taylor was born March 19th. She's an American actress and writer. She's known for playing Fran Drescher's title character and outspoken mother Sylvia Fine on the TV series The Nanny. Uh. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that happened. I can hear her voice just with you having mentioned her name. Fran Drescher or Renee Taylor? Oh, Fran Drescher. Peter Griffin. Yeah, that was more Peter Griffin. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really hate the nanny. It wasn't like the worst thing on TV at the (sighs) time. I despised it while it was popular. I pretty much nothing did. Yeah, I never watched it. I didn't care. Yeah, I think it was a show my mom liked or something, and it was one that made me irrationally angry. And it wasn't <laughs> just Fran Drescher's voice. That was probably only about a third of it. Just like everything about the show bothered me. I, I, w- I will admit right now that there are some things that I have strong opinions about, but this is not one of them. What? <laughs> I find that hard to believe. Yeah, I, you know, spoiler alert. That he doesn't have strong opinions about the nanny? 
Well, that is actually, you know, that I don't have a strong opinion on something. It is actually more newsworthy than that I do have a strong opinion on something. You know, you know what he has a strong opinion about? Roadside signs that tell you that 75 miles down the road, there's <laughs> only the 10 parking spots available at the restaurant. What rest the now. fuck is the purpose of that? Like, why are they telling you, hey, 75 miles down the road at that rest stop, there's 10 parking spots available, so you better hurry. What? I mean, is it the only rest stop in the next 75 miles? No. Well, well yes, but... Oh, is it the next one, at least? No, the it's next, like the very three. next one. But no, it, it's it not. Listed, it was like it the third three. one. Yeah, it said the first one, oh, one mile, there's, you know, 17 parking spots available. 75 miles away, there's 10 spots available. 127 miles away, full. I'm like... Who cares? I mean, I think they're trying to say if you got to pee, but are thinking, eh, I could hold it. You might not be able to park by the time you get to the next one. So, well, in 127 here. miles, it's going to be different. I guarantee you, not all those people are still going to be there. <laughs> this was when we drove down to Gen Con. This was a half an hour rant, <laughs> and it was amazing. I appreciate the extra information about the parking spots at rest stops. I hate extra information. You're giving me information that is not going to be valid by the time I get there. What is the point? You're wasting my time. You're wasting taxpayer dollars. (laughs) Oh, there's 15 spots open. We're never getting to sports. (laughs) Moving on to sports. On March 18th, the U.S. Ladies Figure Skating Championship was won by Maribel Vinson. And the U.S. Men's Figure Skating Championship was won by Roger Turner. That was very matter-of-fact. Yes. Today, oh. it is your birthday. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of you know video available for back then. Maribel Vinson didn't get her day in the media. The 1933 Australian Grand Prix was a motor race held at the Phillip Island Circuit in Victoria, Australia on March 20th. Organized by the Light Car of Australia, it was the sixth Australian Grand Prix and the sixth to be held at Phillip Island. The Grand Prix was won by Bill Thompson driving a Riley Brooklands. Thompson's win was his third Australian Grand Prix victory out of six. <laughs> the whole time, yeah. Riley Brooklands like, get the hell off my back! <laughs> <laughs> the names back then were old-timey even. Driving a Riley Brooklands. <laughs> Head into the third lap. Oh, that was a sticky wicket. We're not playing cricket, dude. Okay, so I looked up Riley Brooklyn. Uh, I mean, uh, it's a porn uh, star, isn't it? Riley Brooklyn's, and it took me to Sotheby's auctions. So this is apparently a oh, big oh, thing. You're on a list now. <laughs> yeah, it is. 1930 Riley 9 Brooklyn sold for $240,000. Oh, oh, Riley Brooklyn. That's got to be a lot of cheddar today. Auto parts. That was like a year ago. 1939? You need no. to check a calendar, buddy. No, the year of the car, it was sold like a year ago. It was a 19. 19- oh, I thought you were saying the company sold in 1939. No, so- no, no. Oh, no. okay, okay. I misunderstood you. A Riley Brooklyn's car sold last year for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Wow! Yes, yes. Yeah. man, we put those auto auctions on at the room a lot, and it's crazy how much these old cars go for. These old rich men buying up shit that they're never even going to touch just to put it in their warehouse. I know a couple of those guys. I'm so jealous. <laughs> mm. like, my hobby is I spend millions of dollars on things I'm never going to drive. 
Oh, awesome. I mean, I probably spend hundreds of dollars on things I'll never realistically play. <laughs> it's just the same thing on a much smaller scale. Right? I want to have that large scale. That's all I'm saying. I want I, to have enough money to buy people. I spend a couple dollars to find out how many parking spots are available at the next rest stop. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> we tried that gonna, before, Pat. It didn't it's gonna work be the rest, well. the rest stop parking lot app. Oh, yeah. In two hours, there will only be ten spots left. <laughs> yeah, it's an app that only tells you right now all around the country what, what the situation is, and it only refreshes every two hours. Go now or forever hold your peace. I'm just going to have to register a new Google voice number to randomly test, uh, text Pat with information about parking spots and rest stops at random times of the day. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I could set that script up. <laughs> you have been subscribed to Rest Stop Daily. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take us out, keyboard Joel. No, 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 no. All right, so this week we are honoring the patron saint of 40 Going On 14, which is Sexy Michael Caine. I'm still not exactly sure why. Kind of makes me, why he's Sexy Michael Caine or why he's our patron saint? Why he's our patron saint in particular. (laughs) He's a pretty decent actor, but... I don't know. I think it's like after we did the... um, The Italian job was when they started. Yeah, the Italian job was the first one that we did with him. And we're like, wow, you know, he looked pretty damn good when in the 70s. So that that could be it. Yeah. And just became a thing. And then the Batman movies and all that. You know, it's one of those like, hey, he comes up up a lot in our in our show. So, yes, I think that's where it kind of stemmed from. Sexy Michael Caine. (laughs) (laughs) Back in. I I like that Josh didn't question that part. He's like, no, I get that part. (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's so sexy, even Josh can't deny it. He's like, yeah, all right. A yeah, flaming well, heterosexual, but okay, he is sexy. Wow. He is, man. I mean, okay. So, Michael Caine, he is six foot two, uh, born to Ellen Francis Marie Burchell, uh, who was a charlady. I don't know what that means. Somebody Google that. Was he, was he six two when he was born? Yes. She's still in traction. It was six foot two, and it took three and a half hours just for him to pop out. Uh, he, he just basically unpeeled his mother. Ew. He was born to Ellen Francis Marie Burchell, a charlady, and Maurice Joseph Micklewhite, who was a fish market porter. Um, he was born jo- Maurice Joseph Micklewhite because they had v- not a lot of imagination. Maybe. Maurice Joseph Micklewhite II. Uh, in school, uh, he skipped out of school at age 15 and started working and then joined the British Army and served in Korea during the Korean War where he saw full combat. Uh, he gravitated towards the theater when he got back to England and adopted the name of Kane on the advice of his agent, taking it from a, a marquee that advertised the 1954 movie The Kane Mutiny. So in the years that followed, he worked more and uh, more than 100 television dramas with repository companies throughout England, and eventually in the stage hit the long and the short and the tall. What he said. <laughs> I have nothing to add to that. Uh, his first big big hit 
was uh, Zulu in 1964, was a retelling of the battle in South Africa between British soldiers and Zulu warriors and brought attention to him internationally. Instead of being typecast as a low-ranking Cockney soldier, he played the snobbish aristocratic soldier. Uh, although Zulu was a major success, it was the role of Harry Palmer in the Im- Ip- Ipcrest file and the title role in Elfie that made him a star of the first magnitude. Uh, he was epitomized as a new breed of actor in the mid-60s, a working-class bloke with glasses and a down-home accent. However, nationally, initially starring in some excellent films in the 60s, including Gambit, Play Dirty, The Battle of Britain, and The Last Valley, he seemed to take on roles in below-average films simply for the money that he could then command. So yeah, Michael Caine, he has been always around? Always around as long as we can care to know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it like he's been around longer than we have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean, he started in movies, you know, 20 years before we were born. Right. Yeah, his first um, actual acting thing was a movie or something called Morning Departure, where he played a character called T-Boy, and he was <laughs> he was completely uncredited in it. Now, who else was in this movie with him but uh, Richard Attenborough? So it was definitely... Uh, you know, a heavy hitter for then, but uh, that's where he got to start. Uh, we've got a list of movies that he has been in that we have marked off, which we have seen and not have seen. But the va- vast majority of the ones we haven't seen in the beginning are even uncredited roles, so I think we should not even bother mentioning most. We're going to skip forward to his stuff that we first have seen because, honestly, in the actor side of it, he's got 173 credits. We're going to have to skip some of them. Yes. So let's start with 1964 Zulu. Yeah. Uh, Zulu. I have seen Zulu. I remember watching it when I worked for the video store and being amazed by it. But I, it's been so long since I've seen it. What's crazy about Zulu is I've seen it a few times, but until I saw it on this list, I forgot Michael Caine was ever in it. Really? And, and I saw it. I had to have been like, 10 years old, eight years old. My father showed it to me one day and I remember being just completely mesmerized by it, but I don't remember much about it. Yeah. Zulu was like one of those movies that if you worked at hobby town and had any interest in anything military or even just like the war games that were fantasy, like it it would come up in conversation often enough. Just about all of us saw it. Mm. You kind of almost had to see it as a job necessity. Yeah, I mean, j- just to keep up with the conversation about it. Yeah. And and this is one of those movies that was directed and produced in the time where it was, you know, we're going to need 2,000 extras for this battle scene. Yeah, the the uh, DeMille movies and shit and you know, yeah. the Ten mm-hmm. Commandments and, and movies were a spectacle, Ben-Hur and all that shit, yeah. Yeah, I kind of miss that. They I mean, still do it every now and then. Yeah, once in a while they had they had stuff they have stuff that comes out like that, but it's not it's not often. And they, sometimes the spectacle comes down to just like the actor salaries, but you you don't necessarily have the same level of practical effects with armies of extras. Right, right. That that's kind of the new way to do that. Yeah. 
I mean, I would say that the uh, most recent analog to that kind of massive production in terms of star power, in terms of like complicated sets and details, would be the new Tarantino flick, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Just, just I was, I was yeah. thinking the Lord of the Rings movies because I haven't seen the Once Upon a Time yet. Well, I mean, even Lord of the Rings, like a lot of the, uh, yeah, there was a lot of practical effects. There was a hell of a lot of CGI, but when yeah, you're they, talking they about like blending. big Sorry. stars at the time, there were when they started in Lord of the Rings, you had like four of them were already big stars. Yeah, so I can't wait one. to go see that movie. Yeah. Next one on the list is the Ipcrest file, where he plays Harry Palmer. Josh has seen this movie out of all of us. Um, 1965 British espionage film directed by Sidney J. Fury, who you may know for such movies as going up into the 80s, Iron Eagle. Now, I, I put oh, down wow. my initials on both the Ipcris file and uh, Funeral in Berlin, even though I can't remember if I've seen Harry Palmer films and I'm sure I've seen the Ipcris file and I may have seen Billion Dollar Brain instead of Funeral in Berlin. But basically, these were more 60 spy things, but they were popular because they were way different from Bond, where Bond was like lighthearted and over the top. Uh, these were way gr more grounded, darker, gritty. Like uh, the whole time you're watching a Bond flick, you're thinking, oh, my God, that's amazing. But you're never thinking this dude could really die. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he was that, more of a realistic character from what I've heard. Yes, the Harry Palmer films are way more like I enjoy Bond, but uh, when I think of like 60 spy stuff, I may think Bond first. But if you had to force force me to choose between the two, what like I think is quality espionage, I, I'm going to go with uh, Harry uh, Palmer every time is more like the lock, stock and two smoking barrels of crime movies. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is like he He's a uh, British army, but he used to be a criminal. That's, that's like his whole thing. This has been on my list, but at the same time, I watching so many things for the show. I, it, it gets pushed down just about every week for well, sure. Yeah. And now I'm kind of depressed. I didn't watch that one. I watched dress to kill instead. Cause I've already seen dress to kill, but I wanted to watch it again. Yeah. I wish I'd have seen that instead. Damn it. My list keeps going bigger and bigger. I can, I'll can, i never catch up. Yeah, you keep bragging about your list. Tyler, your sex tape. Uh, what? Wait. Tyler, your sex tape. Your list keeps Maybe getting bigger and bigger. When I'm retired? I don't know. Yeah, so next one up is Elfie, which was recently remade with, uh, what's his name? Jude Law. Jude Law. Oh, I have not, yeah. I have not seen this yet, even though I have it, I have, it has popped up, because I'm waiting for us to do the Elfie show. I'm surprised you haven't seen it, to be honest. Seems like right up your like wheelhouse, time time frame wise, popularity, etc. It really does. It really does. Uh, what some of the trivia about this one was? It, well, it's a 1966 British romantic comedy with directed by Lewis Gilbert, who has <laughs> done some of the James Bond movies. I mean, he's uh, done such stuff as uh, where to go. He did the Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, which again, just cheesy enough for my attention span. In this, <laughs> in this one, Michael Caine plays Elfie Elkins. So, guys, tell me why I need to watch this movie. Uh, well, I mean, I, I just like my take on Elfie is it's basically Arthur, which uh, apparently was last week, <laughs> but like 
as a 60s movie that if it wasn't made in the 60s probably would have been play like if it was made in the 90s it would have been a hugh grant flick i could see that it's otherwise very similar to arthur only it's more on the womenizing and less on the drinking part of this also was this was the first film to receive the suggested for mature audiences classification from the uh, mpaa yeah because this movie i watched it today and I gotta be honest with you, it was nothing like what I was expecting. Like the first half kinda was Michael Caine was playing a you know, Playboy womanizing, uh, misogynistic, blah blah blah. And then like the last half of it suddenly became like a a, a statement on abortion and like it was all about you know, all these women that he was with kept getting pregnant, they kept kept having kept having to do you know, abortions and I was like it got really weird and really real at one point and I'm like, This is not the movie I thought I was gonna watch. Well, this is actually a pre uh, uh, preview of the Cider House Rules, right? That's kind of, that's what it felt like. Yeah, it definitely makes a third act dark turn. Yeah, I just I was sitting there like she's having a breakdown in the you know on on the bed, and he slaps her and everything. And I'm like, what the hell movie am I watching all of a sudden? I'd say that's a reasonable reaction. <laughs> But at the same time, and it seemed to be a thing for the seventies, they would pull that like switch in the in the third act. Yep. I only remember one abortion in it. They talked about it at the beginning, but they ended up having that kid. And then she, the the woman that he was sleeping with that was his friend that was in the hospital, she had an abortion and that messed him up pretty good. Right. But there was still like, you know, a lot of abortion discussion going on. Oh, yeah. Both times is what I mean. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, and it goes personally, pretty I, dark. I I didn't I didn't like his character. I didn't understand why this movie was so popular. And um I, I He was a very unlikable character. He was meant to be unlikable, I think. Especially when he kept calling women it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I, I did don't not know. understand I did not understand the popularity of this when I'm watching it. I'm like, how did this get to be so like Oh, look at this great womanizer. It's like, no, this dude's just a fucking sociopath. And I wanted some comeuppance with the whole Shelly Winters thing. Or Shirley? Shirley? Shelly. Shelly, yeah. Shelly, yeah. Um, but even that was unsatisfying. Yeah. Because like, like, he was walking down the street with that, you know, all the flowers. And I even made the comment because I was watching it with my sister. I was like, even made the comment. Oh, look, there's he's showing some character growth. He's walking down the street with flowers in his hand. And then he takes him, you know, after the confrontation and throws him in the river. I'm like, well, so much for character growth. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> right? I'm like, what's the lesson here? <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't I didn't get it. But I mean, maybe the lesson is sometimes people are shitty and they m- make an effort at changing and they just don't. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is shitty and just don't try. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a down ending, but some people are like that. Yeah, I'm really sure. curious when we finally do the Elfie show about because I haven't seen either of them. So I'm really curious. So after this, 1966, he did the movie called The Wrong Box, which none Tyler of us sex tape. <laughs> but I just wanted to say out loud a gambit, which all of us have seen because we've done a gambit show. Yes. Yes. You want our opinion on that? Refer so, to our previous show. Right. Starring Shirley MacLaine, Michael Caine and Herbert Lom. Refer to episode Gambit. Yes. Uh, Moving on, uh, we have Funeral in Berlin that Josh has seen, which was... That's another Harry Palmer movie. 
Oh, it is? Okay, this yeah. one actually was directed by uh, Guy Hamilton, who directed Goldfinger. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, beyond the first one, uh, my memories of watching Harry Palmer movies are like mixed up enough that I, I don't feel comfortable talking about this one in particular. Okay. So moving forward to 1969, the Italian job where he plays Charlie Croker. We did that for the Italian job show and a lot of minis driving around on roofs and that sort of thing. And that was the birth, as we said earlier, the birth of our patron saint, sexy Michael Caine, sexy Michael Caine. Yes. Uh, I, really still enjoy this show i mean this uh this movie the italian job I, I don't know, some somehow holds a place in my heart for one it's our our early uh one of our earliest shows and come on michael kane noel coward and benny hill are all in it and music by quincy jones and that really strange ending. That ending just stuck with me. Yeah. yeah. No, when they're left hanging on the side of the mountain. Yeah, I forgot about that. I was my mind was stuck on the ice rink scene. Yeah, he's like, gentlemen, I have an idea. Yeah. So, but yeah, the Italian job. We, I think, if I remember correctly, we all had uh, thumbs up on that one. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. So moving <clears throat> forward, we've got multiple multiple movies between 1969 and 1971, where he jumps in as Jack Carter for the movie Jack Carter uh, that I have not <laughs> for the seen. The movie Get Carter. Carter. Yeah, the character's Jack Carter. Oh, Get Carter. Sorry about that. Get Carter uh, recently re been remade. Same name. Um, this one's directed by Mike Hodges, uh, who has done such movies as... Flash Gordon, really? The Flash Gordon? The oh. Flash Gordon. Yeah, Mike he saved Paul. every one of us. <laughs> he, he's also done the Terminal Man, and I'll sleep when I'm dead. So, Mike Hodges, thank you for Get Carter and Flash Gordon. I mean, Get Carter for me. I I watched the remake with Stallone, which I actually think. Uh, is on this list because I think Michael Caine was in the remake briefly. Yes. Yeah. He made a cameo. Yeah. Well, I, and I went back to see the original cause I actually was on the short list of people who liked the Stallone get Carter. And yes, the original is better, like a lot better. It's pretty cool as a, uh, like a gangster who's been out of it for a while decides to like get into the thick of the criminal element to avenge a murdered brother. I mean, it's basically the same plot as Black Lightning, but. <laughs> well, and I saw the the remake years ago, um, and then I watched, I just watched the new one tonight, actually, right before we started the show, and um, it, it suffers a lot from 70s pacing, but 70s English pacing. Um, I, I personally didn't care for it that much. I mean, I didn't hate it. I mean, it was better than Alfie. But it, uh, it 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 was all right. It was a little slow, but I don't know. I I appreciated it for its place in film history because, like, you look at crime films before Get Carter, and this one's a little bit more realistic and a little more violent. Like, I don't think you get Quentin Tarantino without Get Carter. It's an important stepping stone. Yeah. Uh, maybe I needed to watch it with different eyes and I don't know. It just, it didn't hit me. I, and I expected it, it 
it would, but I the more I got into it, the less I was like, okay, it's a thing. It happened, which is kind of how I felt about the remake. Well, and the remake hit me hard, and the remake has better pacing, like a lot of remakes do, but like the, the plot is not quite as good, and obviously the performances aren't quite as good. Yeah. Like, I think the structure of the... Well, we'll get to that, because we're going to talk about that later. All right. So, uh, moving on from Get Carter in 1971, we're going to skip forward to Sleuth, uh, where he got his first uh, Academy Award nominee for Best Actor. Unfortunately, none of us have seen this movie. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, obviously, it's a like a murder mystery or something. Is it a Sherlock Holmes movie? I guess. Yeah, it's 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 one of the, it, it is a murder mystery. It's not a Sherlock Holmes type of thing, but it's directed by Joseph L. Matikowitz, uh, and also starred Laurence Olivier. Joseph Matikowitz also did such movies about a uh, Letter of Three Wives and All About Eve's. I'm sorry, All About Eve, which the former that was nominated for 14 Academy Awards and won six. So we've got a good. Uh, good director on this one this is definitely one that we need to go back and take a look at i think find a find a connection for uh hopefully someone remakes it i hope so i really do and i hope and and, and the thing is like especially for these type of movies i really hope that they remake it and find the right cast for it you know it's just one of those things that i hate to see when they remake a movie just to get the title out there again and the rock johnson yeah yeah (laughs) So we're going to kick ahead from 1972 all the way up to 1977 with A Bridge Too Far, uh, where he plays Joe Vandeleur, and Josh has seen this one. I mean, I am into all things Operation Market Garden. The uh, it, it was a part of World War II that I didn't even realize was a thing until I was in my 20s and encountered it playing computer games. And I went back and watched the movie where, like, they're going over bridges from the north uh, th- down through the Netherlands to just try and crash into Hitler's Germany. And they just, uh, the operation was not well planned. No one believed it would work and it was not properly executed. And they got to uh, the bridge too far as a uh, Nijmegen bridge. They just got cut off by the Nazis and you had allied soldiers who just went a little bit too deep in this town in the Netherlands and uh, got cut off by the Nazis uh, who occupied buildings on the other side of the river. To uh, those of you that don't know, Operation Market Garden is a a operation that dropped 35,000 men 300 miles past the air bases from England behind enemy lines in the Netherlands. So uh, definitely, I mean, Josh is 100% correct on this one that he need. I, I don't know, it almost seems like one of the Hail Marys of World War II. Well, and part of it was because it was uh, a Montgomery plan. And Bernard Montgomery uh, was field marshal of the British forces. He was a very unlikable man who had a lot of ideas that didn't work and a lot of like ideas that were just factually incorrect. So like between logistics problems and the fact that a lot of people didn't trust him anyway. And yeah, this, this movie focuses on like the end of how it like, could have worked it could have gotten them within 500 miles of berlin and then just how it fell apart right at the last minute right now uh this is another one of those movies that has like everybody in it so besides michael kane this movie stars james Kahn, sean connery elliot elliot gould anthony hopkins gene hackman 
Laurence Olivier, Robert Redfin, Redford, Maximilian Schmel, Schnell. And, and Keanu Reeves. And Keanu Reeves playing the baby. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson as and, a fetus. Yeah. And directed by Richard Attenborough. Yeah, like this is a film, like if you're only going to see one war movie, this should be the one. It was definitely like the Saving Private Ryan of the 60s or 70s. I would say between this and Tora, 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 you've got some great World War II movies. Bridge Over the River Kwai. Yeah. I, I've seen them both, and I'd put a bridge too far above Bridge Over the River Kwai. Because hmm. right. it's just a little bit too far. Just a bit. Moving on to, I hate to say it, after after we talk about this amazing World War II movie with a bridge too far, we go to 1978, and Mike is the only person who has seen The Swarm. It's I, I don't know what that is. It's a, gru, a disaster horror film about a killer bee invasion of Texas. Hmm. So remember when Mike was talking about how in the 70s he started taking roles just for the money? This is one of those. Yeah, this is where that starts. Yeah. This is directed by Erwin Allen, who also <laughs> did stuff with Lost in Space, Swiss Family Robinson, Logan's Run. I mean, he's all over the place with that. But The Swarm, Michael Caine, Richard Widmark, Richard Chamberlain, Jose Ferrer, Patty Duke, <laughs> uh, Fred McMurray, and Henry Fonda. And Killer Bees. Yes. It's it's a uh, you guys know I hate bees. I mean, not bees, but I hate stinging insects. So this is one of those that actually stuck to me, even though I hate. Yeah, <laughs> it's upsetting to me. It's terrible. 100% B movie like total super cast. Like uh, what was the movie with the, the, the ship flipped over? Poseidon. Poseidon adventure type of thing. Yeah, the same kind of thing. The swarm of bees heads into Texas and Michael Caine is the hero of this movie fighting off a swarm of bees. It's just as awful as you think it is. It's just as terrible as you know. Uh, I have no idea how to put that, but let's move it forward to the next movie with him in it, which I'm the only person that has seen this, but it is beyond the Poseidon adventure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. More, more of his crap period. This is Michael Caine taking things because he can. Uh, Michael Caine, Sally Field. I mean, honestly, the sum of the parts should be much better than Beyond the Poseidon Adventure because we've got Michael Caine, Sally Field, Telly Savalas, Peter Boyle, Jack Warden, Slim Pickens, Shirley Jones, and Carl Malden. But, I mean, that many B-listers doesn't make an A-list movie. But this was, okay, they were not B-listers when this was made, though. A lot of them were. Are we still talking about bees? <laughs> 1979? Telly Savalas was at the peak of his career in 79. Who loves you, baby? Or not. I don't even know. It was a terrible well, No, I'm not going to disagree that he was at the height of his career, but his career was Kojak. And that was literally it. Yeah. It's a movie about a boat flipping over. Again. Again. I don't know if it's a second boat, but they, no, it was a different boat. I just flipped back over the right way, but everyone had gotten <laughs> used to it being upside down. So it's another tragedy. What, what do we do when the chandeliers back on top? <laughs> All the chandeliers are on the floor. We just got accustomed to it being upside down. 
uh, Dress to Kill 1980 uh, is seen by me and Patrick. I'm actually kind of amazed by that. That I've seen it? No, 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 that you and I are the only two that have seen it. because Right, I'm, this is a really good uh, mystery movie. There's a scene in it that all I'm going to say, since you've seen it, Mike, I don't want to really ruin it, but the the, the red shoes, it's, it's a scene with the red shoes that is just as creepy as anything like from When a Stranger Calls. Yeah, I can, I can definitely, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that movie. You should definitely see it, guys. It's it's really good. I, I wish we could talk more about this, but it's a mystery movie. Right. Brian De Palma, Michael Caine, Angie Dickinson, uh, Dennis Franz. But it's actually legitimately good. Yes. Yeah, it, it really is legitimately good, yes. Yeah. It's a very good, creepy, mystery-type movie. A la... Um, hmm, what would I compare it to? Uh... Well, like I said, uh, when a stranger calls, kind of. Yeah. Michael Caine is calling from inside your house. <laughs> Ooh, is he? Michael Caine. All right, moving on to 1981. Uh, the Hand, a psychological horror film written and directed by Oliver Stone, based on a novel called The Lizard's Tale. Michael Caine and Andrea Markovi. Mar- Markovici, Markovici, where uh, Michael Caine plays a comic book artist who loses his hand in, a, in an accident, and then the hand takes on a life of its own. As it will. As, as they do, yes. It sounds terrible, but Michael Caine and Oliver Stone is all I'm going to say. It's, I don't want to ruin it for you, but this one is one of those movies where it really freaked me out when I saw it on like the CBS movie of the week, which CBS, honest to God, what the hell? Between this and Sybil, you're responsible for so many of my psychosomatic like F-ups up, F in my head. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's not great. But if you like Kane and you like Oliver Stone, you should definitely check this one out. You've got a creepy hand going around killing things. Well, I saw Idle Hands, but, you know. Yeah, I've never even heard of this one. What? Me either. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Really? Really. Huh. It almost huh. sounds like one of his crap movies that he took for a paycheck. Right? It kind of is. But at the same time, it's if you if you watch it with the the filter of I'm watching cheesy thriller horror, you'd be all right. Yeah, well, let's move on to Death Trap. Five and a half stars out of ten on IMDb. Well, what do they know? 1982, Death Trap. He plays Sidney Brule. It's been seen by me and Patrick. Hate to <laughs> use the cop out, but this is another one that's it's a mystery movie and. It's 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 almost perfectly made to be a theater, you know, a Broadway type movie. It's a, it's a it, yeah, it's a, it's like a one scene movie or one scene one setting movie. Everything happens in the cabin, and it's just is it it's, a, adapted from a play or I, it probably is. I would not be surprised to find that. Yeah, but Christopher Reeve is in it as well. This is actually you're right, Josh. This is based on a play by Ira, Ira Levine. Of the same name, so there's a, there is a play called Death Trap out there, and it does take take place on one set. 
this is my guilty pleasure Michael Caine movie. I saw this in the theater. Nice. It, it, it almost brought about my love of movies like Clue, where you're never 100% sure of who did it. This right. is starring Michael Caine, Christopher Reeve, and Diane Cannon. Good. This is this was the first movie I ever saw that had like multiple twists. Right, and that's and that's the thing is it's especially with this one. I want to say this is what happens because it is so. I mean, I remember being in the theater and when the twist happened, going, "Oh, what!" and it was amazing. <laughs> yep. But, and I don't want to ruin it for you. I really I, don't. And I would tell you if I if you if you had to pick between Death Trap and Dress to Kill, pick Death Trap. Oh, a hundred percent. Because the other thing is, Death Trap is a lot of fun. It really is. Okay, yep. so if we're only going to watch one of the two 70s slash 80s Michael Caine mysteries, pick Death Trap. Go with Death Trap. 100% go with Death, go with Death Trap. 7.7 7 out of 10 on IMDb. Yeah. So better than The Hand. Right. <laughs> better than The Hand. Go with Death Trap. Because, because all of us are theater guys. And this is one of those movies where you will definitely see how well this would play out on stage. Well, and Sydney Sydney Lumet is an excellent director, so it's got got that going for it. This is this is probably I want to say my early Michael Caine movie is probably one of my favorites. Yeah, if not, if not in the top three. This one, next movie up is Educating Rita. I know I have seen it. I don't remember a whole hell of a lot about it, but Except he's got a beard. He's got a beard. And this is a uh, Academy Award nominee for best actor, a BAFTA award winner for best actor and a Golden Globe award winner for best actor. But saying, I have no idea what this movie is about saying them saying that I should probably remember a hell of a lot more for this one. Um, I unfortunately do not. I. Uh, it's based another one based off a stage play. Educating Rita was uh, written by Willie Russell, uh, Michael Caine, Julie Walters, Michael Williams, and Maureen Lipman. I wish I could say more of this, but I only have so much time to go back and rewatch stuff. And if I did, I'd go back and rewatch Death Trap. True. True. It's a death trap. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to 1984. 1984. Blame it on Rio. He plays Matthew Hollins. This has been seen by myself, Josh, and Patrick, all because we wanted to see boobs. Boobies. Yes. I do remember seeing this movie as a teenage boy with my dad in the room. And that scene came on and we both just kind of looked at each other like, hey. (laughs) (laughs) So this is starring Michael Caine, Joseph Bologna, Valerie Harper. There's a name I didn't say often. Uh, Michelle Johnson and a very young Demi Moore who has uh, aforementioned boobies. I'm relatively certain if I went back and watched this again, it would be one of those movies like, I like this? Yeah, it's it's not quite as funny as I remember it being. Yeah, I can think of two reasons why I liked this movie when I was 14 years old. (laughs) Right? And they're both okay. And a boob. No, they're both attached to Demi Moore. Oh. Yeah. That's close, but yeah. So we don't really have much to say about this one. So let's just move on. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's also one that's. Uh, I kind of wish I'd rewatched this one because it does have a guy who's getting older. Like I, I think in this, he's even a little older than we are, but uh, he's 
getting involved with girls his daughter's age. And as a guy with a 19 and 15 year old daughter, I don't want to go back and rewatch this again. I, I could see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, crazy thing is, is like one of the girls in Blame It on Rio was actually 17 and had to get permission from a judge to do topless scenes in Blame It on Rio. Huh. I, I did not know that. I didn't know judges could do that. <laughs> yeah. I got to meet some judges. Is that a thing where you can like go to a judge and be like, hey, make her take her top off? <laughs> no, yeah, Michelle Johnson had to get legal clearance in order to uh, do this film. Huh. That, that wouldn't happen today. Moving, moving on to another movie in uh, 1986 that obviously has absolutely no weird sexual connotations. Uh, directed by Woody Allen, uh, Hannah and Her Sisters, starring Woody Allen, Michael Caine, Mia Farrow, Carrie Fisher, Barbara Hershey, Marino Sullivan, Daniel Stern, Max von Snydow. And Diane West. Holy cow. Yeah. It's a really, really good movie. But, I mean, it's a, it's your typical, you know, Woody Allen movie. A lot of uh, sharp dialogue. A lot of, you know, funny, biting wit and blah, blah, blah. I think I may also have seen this. We have it just listed down as Pat having seen it. But, like, when Joel and I went on a Woody Allen bender, some of the ones that are kind of like this slice of life with Mia Farrow, uh, it was kind of tough for me to keep them apart, so I wasn't confident I'd actually seen this one. It's kind of weird to hear you say Woody Allen Bender. We well, did. Yeah, there was, yeah, we like three, four weeks, we watched like a dozen Woody Allen films. Hmm. And I, I had the same thought, Josh. I was like, I think I've seen this, but I'm not 100%. I was did pretty you, sure you guys had watched that at some point. Did you like it? That's why I didn't put my name on it because I wasn't <laughs> sure what I thought. But I and I've enjoyed most Woody Allen films that I've seen. I don't yeah, think I've seen. And this is you know it, it's a it's a really good Woody Allen film. I mean that's there's. I mean there's a couple of these with Mia Farrow where they're the Mia Farrow Woody Allen films that aren't Annie Hall, right? And mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to tell the difference between them, just for me. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm fairly certain, but I I didn't want to say, oh yeah, it was fantastic when I'm not on a sure but I, I, I think it was good when I remember. Maybe. Quincy Jones pooping. All right, we got a ton more to get through, gentlemen. All right, keep moving. We got Sweet Liberty. <laughs> yeah, and we're, sk we're skipping the ones we haven't even seen. Like, yeah. For everyone we mentioned, there's four that we didn't. Yeah, Sweet Liberty. All right, Sweet Liberty is Alan Alda, Michael Caine, Michelle Pfeiffer, Bob Hoskins, Lays Hilbolt, and Lillian Gish, directed by El Alan Alda. Um, basically Ellen Alda is a director who wants to make a, a fact based historical novel about the Re American revolution into a movie. And then Michael Caine shows up as Elliot James as the egotistical, uh, superstar and everything goes haywire. It is a 1986, like historical Michael Caine sex comedy. <laughs> There's a oh, another one of those. Yeah, as you will. It's it's not entirely bad, he says awkwardly. But at the same time, I'm also going it going at it with. Uh, it's been at least two and a half decades since I've seen it. It's been on my list just because I like Alan Alda, but I've never seen it. I just remember the poster. 
Yeah. So uh, moving on to 19, let's see, 19, oh, same year, uh, Half Moon Street, will he, where uh, Michael Caine plays Lord Sam Bulbeck uh, across from uh, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, British-American erotic thriller about an American woman working at a British ex escort service who becomes involved in political intrigues surrounding one of her clients. Uh, oh, I've seen this one. Erotic. I saw this one when we did the Sigourney Weaver show. Erotic. I, until you mentioned Sigourney Weaver was in it, I'd forgotten all about it. Erotic. Shut up, Madonna. <laughs> I kind of like it. Erotic. <laughs> um, it's I. If I, Josh, do you what do you recall from it? Uh, I remember it started kind of boring but i i vaguely remember liking this one i remember seeing this one uh when i was working at the video store because somebody somebody commented on it and it's like oh yeah she's a hooker and totally michael you know you're totally gonna see boobs for it which at that point was you know two-thirds of a reason i'd pick up a movie remember watching it yes there were and honestly by the time the movie ended i didn't care yeah, I mean, it was more about the politics, considering like she was frustrated with her job, like she was brilliant, but like not making money with her skills and making money with this other thing. And then she ends up connecting with this guy through her call girl adventures, who's connected to the th things that she's actually good at. Right. Huh. So. If you're in the mood for it, get yourself a bottle of wine, something dry, <laughs> sit back. What I mean, honestly, it's one of those movies. Like if you sit down and start watching it, you can't get up and wander away and like, go get yourself some pretzels, have the pretzels and the, and the wine right there on the table for you. Uh, moving on to 1987. I don't know what the hell happened, but he was in jaws. The revenge. Yep. Yeah. Was he playing an Australian named Hoagie Newcomb? He was. Ugh. And, it was an entire movie about a shark attempting to gain revenge on those who killed its kids. We'll just leave that right there where it is. And we're going to keep moving on to yep. 1988, <laughs> which seems to be an amazing uh, a year for Michael Caine comedies without a clue and dirty rotten scoundrels. Without a clue, apparently only myself and Pat have seen this. It stars uh, Michael Caine and Ben Kingsley, along with uh, Jeffrey Jones, directed by Tom a Tom Eberhardt. If I if I'm correct, I don't know for sure. Wasn't this the first time someone had done the, the what is now almost a trope of Holmes is really the dumb one and Watson is the one pulling all the strings. I want to say you're correct. That this is the first time that that, that idea came about. I remember you guys recommending this film because you were the only two who had seen it when we did the Sherlock Holmes show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. It really is. Cause honestly, Ben Kingsley and Michael Caine sync up so well. It was kind of it was kind of like a dumb and dumber, you know, Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels thing where you're like, you know, Ben Kingsley can't do comedy. Yeah. And come on. First off, the uh, the music is done by Henry Mancini. So how bad can it be? It's also directed by Tom Eberhardt, who did. <laughs> All right, here we go. Night of the Comet, 
Gross Anatomy, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, the classic Captain Ron, and then 2002's I Was a Teenage Faust. This is not a good resume. Oh, Dad, let me pitchfork him tonight. What was that? Teenage Faust? No. All right, so moving on to 1990. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Josh is... No, no. We're how how do I delete on. someone else's verbal comment? <laughs> We're not moving on until we talk about Dirty Rotten Scoundrels because that is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Agreed. I am uh, so I'm completely sorry. I, I mistakenly skipped over that. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, all of us have seen this. Look, Doctor, he's so happy. He's he's crying. <laughs> <laughs> May I go to the bathroom, please? <laughs> Even Thank though you. the remake did not get very good reviews, I kind of want to see it. Just, remake? yeah, just came out. It's not n- named Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, but it's with uh, Rebel Wilson and Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really? Yeah, yep. I think I think we should do a show on it just so we can shit all watch, over the watch the Dirty Rotten Scoundrels again. Yep, give me an excuse to watch Any it. Any reason to watch it again? I'm down. Because I mean, it, it really is one of my favorite comedies. It's so good. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping we get to like do a deep dive on Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. And you know what? I like Anne Hathaway enough where even if that movie's kind of crap, at least yeah. I'll probably enjoy it because she's in it. Yeah, yeah, but it's not directed by Frank Oz, who directed Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> like When you think about it, it's obvious. Jay, Janet, Jay, Jackal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll hold off on talking about this. And we'll, we'll put a pin in doing a, uh, a show about the reboot. No, we totally need to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I think I think between this and Animal House has been kind of like a blueprint for our lives. Animal <laughs> House. So, moving on to uh, Mr. Destiny, which Josh the hustle. It was called the hustle. Yes. What? Yeah. The, the hustle. That's the new one. Yeah. Oh, it's it's been remade. No, Dirty Run Scoundrels remake the hustle. Oh. Yeah, I just looked it up. Sorry. All right, so. All right, moving on in the uh, James Belushi and Michael Caine crossover that you were wanting. <laughs> um, uh, I think I've seen this crappy movie. Moving on, let's go. I, I don't want to talk I mean, about it. <laughs> I, I I've seen it, and it's it's not very good. It's yeah. basically a uh, not miracle miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Sort. Well, of. I mean, he's he's an old guy who wants to talk about what would have happened if he'd have hit the home run or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah then I've, I've seen this piece Rico? of shit. I've seen this piece of shit. It's oh Uncle Rico? I think I may have seen <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Uh, just in a bizarre... Okay. Directed by James Orr, starring Linda Hamilton, Michael Caine, John Lovitz, John Belushi, Courtney Cox, and Renee James, Russo. James Belushi. Jim Belushi. Lesser Belushi. Belushi. <laughs> Belushi. Oh, I am so sorry. I feel like I need to apologize to Jim. John? John. And uh, anyway, John's the good Belushi. He's also the dead Belushi by this time. So James Belushi, this is directed by James Orr, who's known for such things as breaking all the rules. They still call me Bruce. Three men and a baby and 14 going on 30. You were so close to having it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the uh, honestly, like the highlight of this movie is Courtney Cox's the crazy girlfriend and the alternate. This is what your present could have been. Oh, is this the one where she's wearing the weird corset and the mask? Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, I've seen this. <laughs> oh no, we've all seen this. That is the only scene that pops out of my head on this whole thing is Courtney Cox wearing a corset and a mask. Yeah, he goes from his crappy life where his wife was Linda Hamilton to his new life where his wife is Renee Russo and he's cheating on her with Courtney Cox. That's kind of like win-win on either side of that coin, man. Yeah, and you've got, uh, honestly, Michael Caine's probably the best part of this as the angel who just keeps showing up at, like he's a bartender, then he's a taxi driver. I think he shows up a couple different times in other outfits. Does he show up in a corset yeah, what, and a mask? What, wasn't, wasn't he a sashimi chef to, at one point, if I remember correctly? That sounds right. Yeah, yeah, he shows up all over the place in this one. I mean, this isn't good, but it's memorable. Yeah. Now, let's go to good and memorable. In 1992, he played Lloyd Fellows in Noises Off, which, as theater goers, um, th- I really, really, really want to do this show on stage. Pat, how have you not seen Noises Off? I've yeah. seen the, I, I've seen the production in person, but I've never seen the movie. Well, really? it's really good. Yeah, if yeah. you've seen the yeah. show, it's worth watching the movie. Yeah, uh, Carol Burnett, Michael Caine, Denim Elliott, Julie Haggerty, Mary Lou Henner, Christopher Reeve, John Ritter, and Nicolette Sheridan. Um, it it's a lot of fun. It really is. I mean, yeah. in this, I, well, you know what? I have seen this. Fuck, that's right. <laughs> when you said John Ritter, when you said John Ritter, I was like, "Oh fuck, I have." Yeah, yeah. it's a hell of a day. It's also a plate it's of sardines. It's also the big Julie Haggerty movie that isn't uh, the airplane movies. True. Yeah. Right. Um, this is directed by uh, Peter Bogdanovich. <laughs> Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich, who also did such movies as They All Laughed, Mask. Illegally yours and 1971s. If you have not seen it, it's amazing. The last picture show. It is a good film. It really is. Oh, we're not doing the uh, we're n- uh, Civil no, Shepherd show. No, we're not doing a Civil Shepherd show. But we probably we are should. really not doing that. No. No. Uh, but moving <laughs> on. This, what's cool about this one is he plays the director of a bunch of insecure, psychotic actors the night before they're supposed to go on. And if you have ever been in a stage production, you will watch this movie and go, that is exactly true. Well, and you can imagine like what it would be like if the director everyone thinks is God is actually sleeping with half the cast. True. Like that's, that's like one of the best parts. Yeah. And it, it, it's fast paced. It's, it's again, it's not one of those movies where you can get up and walk away from it. You really have to keep, you have to pay attention to it because the jokes are almost like um, naked gun style where they just keep coming at you type of thing. Well, a lot of it though is like um, Groucho Marx style mm-hmm. rapid fire jokes coming at you left and right. It's yeah. The very fast paced. Yeah. And Carol Burnett is a riot in this one. She really is. I mean, between Michael Caine, Carol Burnett, and John Ritter, you, you've got something amazing right there. Uh, but also, in 1992, was came out 
was came out was came out the <laughs> Christmas Carol. Probably we still, a, we still got half a show to do. Oh so my there. god, there's so many movies. <laughs> Why does he have to be so good? 173. Oh my god, Muppet Christmas Carol, where he plays. Uh, who does he play? Scrooge. Yeah. Yes, directed by Brian Henson. This is one of the first movies that was done shortly after uh, his dad died. Jim Henson died, and it is amazing. Michael Caine is probably one of outside of the uh, God. What's his name? Alistair Sims, Scrooge. This is probably one of my favorite Scrooges of all time. This is probably my favorite Muppet movie of all time. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't think it's either for me, but it's good. Yeah, it's good. It's definitely good. I I said, light the candle, not the rat. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you could have walked through the bars at any time. Yeah. You You are so weird. (laughs) You are an idiot <laughs> if you have not seen this is actually a christmas um tradition for us to watch Muppet christmas carol and make popcorn strings for the christmas tree for our family that's now, a good tradition it is yep. it really yeah. is yeah moving forward to 1994 on deadly ground because if you are forever wondering what would happen if you mix steven seagal oh shit i've seen this <laughs> <laughs> It's another not good. Pat yeah, has good. seen this. Jo- I have not seen this movie. Oh. Tell me how terrible it is. If you want, if you want to watch Steven Seagal pretend he's an American Indian, and and yeah, just and kick ass in the wilderness. Yeah, he, he's fighting for the in, the American Indian people's lands and their oil rights, and it's and Michael Caine is the main bad guy, if I remember correctly. And yes. it's it's just not good. It, All right, it, that's it, enough of that. Moving yep. on, Blood and Wine. Joel has just realized that he saw that. Yeah, I was looking through it, and it's it's Jack Nicholson and Stephen Dorff and uh, Jennifer Lopez. Um, I I I saw this, but I it really left no impression. If that says anything. All right, moving on <laughs> to the Cider House Rules, nineteen ninety nine. We are so close to the end. Oh, in ninety five, <laughs> there was another Harry Palmer, which I may or may not have seen. Bullet to Beijing. Yeah. All right, we'll just keep moving on that one. Anyway, Cider House Rules. Uh, Joel and Patrick have seen this one. This was also an Academy Award winner for Best Supporting Actor and the Screen Actors Guild Awards winner for Best Supporting Actor. This is a good movie, but it's a goddamn depressing movie, and I really don't want to see it again. Yeah, it's it's one of those where at <laughs> some point in your life, you, you probably should see it, but once you've seen it, you legit don't need to see it again. Is this like in the same genre as like American History X? Like you need to see it, but you only need to see it once. I wouldn't put it as high up as as American History X, but no. it's definitely it's definitely Something like, like precious. It's, yeah. it's a really yeah. good movie. It's very well done. It's a it's a strong script. The acting is good, but it just it's not got a lot of rewatchability. Is all. Yeah, you go through all the horrors and the downer, and you're like, that was an important story. Let us never speak of it again. Correct. You princes of England. Hey, let's go drink. <laughs> we are we are done with the first half. We have hit the 2000s. And now we need to go drink 
come back and talk about Michael Caine post-2000, which is going to be a fuckload of Alfred. And probably like three more Harry Palmer movies. There were two in 96, by the way, Josh. You missed one. Oh, did I? Michael Caine. All right, we'll be back in a little bit. All right, 1999 is over. Michael Caine steps into the 2000s with the movie Quills. Because who doesn't love a retrospective movie about Marquis de Sade? 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 Marquis de Sade. Marquis de Sade. Um, Wasn't he on the Cosby show? Yes, he was. That's exactly who you're thinking of. He's the guy for which sadism is named. Mm-hmm. I This movie sticks in my head because my mom and I both like Michael Caine. We saw Uh-oh. a Michael Caine movie at the video store, rented it, and sat down to watch it together. This was quite possibly the most awkward afternoon of my life. I can see that. Yeah. This is a very twisted period piece movie. Yes, it is. Well, I took. Well, if it's if it's any consolation to you, I took my mom to go see a Martin Scorsese movie because she liked Martin Scorsese one time when I was visiting her in Little Rock. Only it wasn't a Martin Scorsese movie; it was The Wolf of Wall Street. You told me about this. Yeah, so the opening scene is, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio doing blow out of a hooker's butt. So I was like, oh, no, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) Your mom's like, it's just like the 80s. Yeah, (laughs) right. Little plan B. Yeah, my mom's like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's a period piece about you got to watch it. It's weird. Uh, Moving on to uh, Get Carter. The remake. The remake. Uh, this has been seen by everybody but me because I'm putting it on hold until we finally do the Get Carter movie. Show. Show. Movie show. It's a good remake. I mean, it's, yeah. it's solid. It's an entertaining film. It's not great, but I, I liked it when I first saw it. Same. Excellent. I, I kind of nothing that was a movie I saw. You know, the thing is, when you say I kind of nothinged it, mm-hmm. It means completely different things than if Josh or Pat said it to me. It really does. Joel has very interesting taste in movies. Yeah. I mean, if you say, I just nothing that there wasn't enough degloving in this movie. (laughs) What if I ever mentioned degloving? There weren't enough naked fat ladies dancing. David Lynch five. All right. So moving on from that, uh, the movie Get Carter, that was kind of a good thing. Thumbs up. Kind of all around. Miss Congeniality, where he played Victor Melling. We've all seen this. This is one of those movies that I kind of liked it, liked it more than I thought I would when I read the uh, like description of it. But Sarah loves this movie. So I've seen it a bunch of times just because it happens to be on because she's watching it again. <laughs> hmm. I've seen it once. Movie. It's fun. I've seen it a few times, actually. I, I, it's better than it should have been. I enjoyed it. I, I know Suzanne enjoys it also, but I don't think she goes out of her way to see it. it it's just fun. It's a, it's a fun Saturday afternoon kind of film. So you've got Sandra Bullock, Michael Caine, Benjamin Bratt, William Shatner, Ernie Hudson, and Candace Bergen. 
which is kind of a wacky uh, cast to begin with. But it makes I sense mean, in the context of the film. And Sandra Bullock is always fun in almost every movie she does. Yeah, I, I have to say I'm not a 100% Sandra Bullock fan, but at the same time, her stuff is solid. You know, I, I can watch. And she's cute as a button. <laughs> it's also got that line about describe your perfect date. Not to, I forget the exact day. Uh, Sarah would have the quote, but it's <laughs> like, not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. <laughs> it'd be it great. Like? It'd be it's great like, if she just burst in right now and interrupted you and said, "It goes like this." <laughs> my ears are burning. You're talking about my favorite movie. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I just I can't remember the specific day of the year, but I, that was a funny line and one that comes up in terms of quotes fairly often in my house. Yeah, go wake, go wake her up and ask her how it goes. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. <laughs> do it. So after this, he stars in Austin Powers in Goldmember as Nigel Powers as Austin Powers' father. This is directed by Jay Roach. Uh, who has done such stuff as Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, Meet the Fockers, Meet the Parents, Dinner for Schmucks, Trumbo. I Didn't he I, also do Hitchhiker's Guide? He was a producer on Hitchhikers. Okay. Yeah. Which kind of takes some of the heat off of it, but at the same time... I, I mean... Like yeah. I like most of Jay Roach's stuff. See, I don't, but Goldmember was okay. It was before <laughs> Austin Powers completely. It was when it started to come off the rails. Yeah. I like it because Michael King completely hammed it up in this one. And I really enjoyed I mean, he you can tell that he was like, I'm getting paid for this. I can be as ridiculous as I want. And they're still going to pay me because I'm not the most ridiculous thing on the set right now. Yeah. His rant about the Dutch. <laughs> best part of the whole movie. Yes. <laughs> it's fun. You know, I, I, I enjoy these movies uh, as a rule. And when he showed up, I was like, that's perfect casting. Yeah. Com I mean, and, and then I'm, I'm going to say with you, cause I actually went to the theater to see this. And when he showed up, I was like, of course, why would he not be? That makes complete sense. But Moving on to 2003, Joel has seen a movie called Quicksand because if anybody's ever wondered what would happen if you had Michael Keaton and Michael Caine together on the same screen, I don't know what, what would it be. It's my thesis. <laughs> it's my doctoral dissertation. <laughs> um, I have to admit I had high hopes for this, but this was at a point in both of their careers where Michael Keaton had been on a real big high, dipped briefly, or at least was looking for a paycheck. I don't know which. And Michael Keaton was kind of hadn't found his second wind yet. And um, this this reads like a Cinemax movie, but there's no nudity or sex in it, really. Um, the music's ill-timed and terrible. The script was meh. I don't know. I, I, I tried to like it. And, and his role uh, in the film, he plays an actor, <laughs> ironically enough. And um, it's it's kind of a minor part. Michael Keaton's really the star of it. But yeah, I don't I don't ever need to see this again. Ever. Ever. Say, coming from you? Ever. 
<laughs> that that means a lot. But uh, we uh, on that note, we need to do a Michael Keaton show. We, we did already, a Michael Keaton show. Yeah, pretty yeah. sure that already happened. No shit. Yep. <laughs> we did because I was I was like I love Michael Keaton, my favorite actors, and you guys are like really. Yeah, and that's why I watched Birdman. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. So cool. Go back and listen to our Michael Keaton show. Moving on, he said. <laughs> 2003 <laughs> uh also secondhand lions i have seen this joel and josh have also seen this i i before i go on curious to know what you guys think i kind of liked it this is another michael keaton movie where i kind of liked it and sarah really likes it so i've seen i would have only ever seen it once if not for my wife it's a decent drama I mean, it's got a good cast. You got him and Robert Duvall, and is it Haley Joel? Haley Joel Osment, yeah, I think. And um, yeah, you know, it's one of those movies that you can watch it once and not have to see it again. In my opinion, it's not it's not like the best thing ever, but it's it's a solid film. I have an I I'm not entirely sure why, but I love this movie. This between Robert Duvall and Michael Caine and the scene where they fight the kids in the uh, in the diner uh, with Hub and the rest of them. It, I don't know why I enjoy this movie so much. It's it's like a TV movie, but at the same time, I really just love the interaction between the three of them. Also, toss in the fact that uh, Berkeley Breathe, who does Bloom County, it does all the illustrations for the movie. Uh, also, I mean, if you, uh, Bloom County is my, one of my favorite comics of all time. So that kind of falls into it also. This is so good that we, I, I bought it on DVD and we have watched it multiple times this year. Hmm. So, yeah. Hey, there's something for everybody. My dad really liked this movie. Yeah. It's a, it's a good movie. It really is. Yeah. It's definitely worth watching. Yeah, my perspective on it was probably closer to Joel's, though maybe not quite as harsh. But like I said, it's one that I've warmed to it since I've wandered on seeing it in the living room when I'm playing video games. True. Uh, a couple years later, 2005, the deal with the devil is done by Christopher Nolan, and we get Michael Caine as Alfred Pennyworth in Batman Begins. And he is perfect in this role yes Uh, when i heard that they cast him as alfred i was like that is just genius no i mean and and not even genius i mean he absorbs the role and becomes alfred i mean it seems like now if somebody says alfred for batman i it immediately goes to i i I see michael caine in that role i agree he embodied the role plain and simple moving on for some strange reason, Patrick is the only person who has seen Bewitched. Will Ferrell fan. I know, but Joel. And I like Nora Ephron. Well, it's been on my list for a long time, but I just have not gotten around to see it yet. It was completely unmemorable. I really I really just remember being very underwhelmed. That was about it. Huh. There's your review. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, all right. Moving on. 
Uh, and for some reason, I am not. I am the only one of us who have not seen Children of Men. Dude, you need to correct that. We have talked about this several times. It's so good. You would really like it. It is widely considered one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time, one of the greatest post-apocalyptic films of all time, and one of the best movies of the 2000s. So good. And I love Clive Owen also. And Julianne Moore is in it. Uh, yeah. I mean, Michael Caine is great as the drug dealer, like, burnout guy. Yeah, yeah, the old man, the old hippie who's had enough of fighting the system. Yeah, I gotta I gotta pick this up and just hammer it I'm I'm thinking about a movie night with a family where we watch Children of Men and The Road together. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that'll be a good family moment. <laughs> Sophie will have nightmares for about two weeks. It's a good uplifting uh, evening. Yeah, I mean Children of Men, I, one of the things I love about it is just it, it presents a vision of the world that I buy where it's like humanity knows that it's going towards extinction but nobody's willing to just like off themselves everyone who's all who was going to do that already has so it's like what would the world look like if everybody believed that their generation was the last yeah i'd, I'd recommend requiem for a dream after you're done with that one too yeah round it out children of men <laughs> the road requiem for a dream and then we all shoot up a bunch of h and just trip out <laughs> the rest of the night uh moving on 2006 was a really weird year for him because we have children of men and the prestige where he plays john cutter uh this is a christopher nolan movie that is freaking amazing hugh jackman christian bale michael Caine, scarlett johansson david bowie andy circus uh it this is probably in my top 10 of the like thriller type movies. And if you have read the book, just all I'm going to say is do it because even if you've seen the movie first, it, you are not ready for what happens in the book. But uh, Michael Caine is amazing in it. Everyone's amazing in it. Quite possibly. I think out of all of Christopher Nolan's movies, this may be the number one for me. Hmm. It's really good. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I, I, and the thing is about this movie is that you, you, it's amazing, but you can't say too much about it without ruining it. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's about magic. <laughs> it's an illusion. And David Bowie is Nikola Tesla. I know, right? That was fantastic. I think that might be the role of his career as much as I love him in uh, uh, Labyrinth. Yeah, this might be my favorite role of his, even ahead of Twin Peaks. Moving on, two thousand and eight, uh, The Dark Knight. Alfred Pennyworth comes back. Christopher Nolan, Batman movie. We've all seen it. We all love it. Skipping forward to two thousand and nine, Harry Brown. Uh, myself and Joel actually just watched both of these last night. Crackamundo. Yes. And you commented that it was like a older Death Wish. Yeah, it, it felt very much akin to that. Just because you've got a guy, an older gentleman with emphysema that lives in an estate, um, which, you know, is an apartment complex. The, the, uh, I'm trying to think what they call it. Like Cabrini Green. What do they call yeah. it? Like a housing project? project? Estate. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, in England, and um, the the youth have kind of taken over, um, kind of the the chavs of the the area, maybe a little older. They're dealing drugs. They're beating people up. They're you know, it, it's just a shithole. They're being rev scallions. His best friend gets killed, and he decides that he's had enough, and he's gonna fight back. Well, I mean, it's more than just his best friend. His his wife dies one week. The next day, no, the next week, his best friend, who is also um uh, the groundskeeper from Harry Potter. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, but David Bradley is who you're talking about. It's tense. It's a definite retros, not retrospect, but a, a reflection of what's going on in the area at the time. I was not expecting to feel as much as I did uh, just because Michael Caine is, I, I mean, you get introduced to the character before there's any gunfire, before there's any sort of like revenge going on. It's 30 minutes into the movie. I mean, you are two thirds into the movie before he decides that he's going to do something about the fact that he cannot walk outside anymore. And when he does, the scene where he picks up the guns from the dealer is ridiculous. Yeah, it's really intense. I mean, if you if you like movies like um, Death Wish, Death Wish, sorry, not Death Trap. Go see Death Trap too, <laughs> and go see Death Wish. Uh, but uh, it's it's a British Death Wish, a lot more polite, a lot more condensed. It's not as I won't say all over the place, but it's not as violent as Death Wish. What do you think, Joel? It well, it's definitely not a feel-good movie. Um, <laughs> you're, you're not going to walk out of it going, "Oh, well, that was nice." I don't know. At the, I mean, the ending of this one, I was kind of like, "Oh, good, he can walk across the park." But I really enjoyed this a lot more than I was expecting it to be because Harry Brown is not just the vigilante who's going around blowing people away. He's a vigilante who's taking back his neighborhood, but at the same time fighting off the fact that he's almost 80 years old. Yeah. And the fact that he can barely, you know, (laughs) yeah, because of his emphysema, he can hardly do much of anything. And they almost feel like they're setting it up for a sequel. Um, Thank goodness they didn't because it could have gone, you know, the, the way that death wish did, but it's, it's, it's really, really good. Um, just don't prepare for, you know, sunshine and roses. Right, right. 2010, Inception, Professor Stephen Miles, another Christopher Nolan movie. And the fact that Christopher Nolan and Michael Caine are like holding hands, walking off into the sunset makes me really happy. We've all seen this movie. I think this it's either this or Memento or my favorite Christopher, Christopher Nolan movie. This one's a mind fuck. Yeah, I think this is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. For sure. I love the cast. I love the cast in this movie. Well, just the visuals alone. True. I mean, the whole thing is amazing. You've got like hardcore uh, big brain heist movie. Like you've got psychological concepts running around, but you've got all of the trappings of a heist movie with this crazy sci-fi technology and the visuals to match the imagination that goes with the concept. Michael Caine, I knew would be able to pull off what was going on in this movie. I'm really glad that Leonardo was able to. I mean, this is a few years past where I had like really started to take Leonardo DiCaprio seriously. Same. I actually took my grandmother to see this at uh, the theater. 
I mean, this is pretty close to a perfect movie. It really is. Mm -hmm. And we watch this and (laughs) the, the ending closed, the lights came up and I looked at my grandmother and I said, what do you think? And she looked at me and said, I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> I'm like, we've been sitting here for two and a half hours. What the hell? <laughs> I mean, she's like, no, 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 no. I enjoyed it. I just don't know what happened. I so. believe that feller was from outer space. Did the, did the <laughs> top do it? I think the top was responsible. So moving on, Cars 2. Joel has seen this where he plays Finn McMissile. Which is I may have seen this too. Joel's porn name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. Um, yeah, no, I saw this in the theater. Uh, my son is was a huge Cars fan, and uh, when this came out, we immediately went and saw it. I really enjoyed it, and and him playing a British uh, spy car is is good casting. And, you know, he, of course, turns into typical, uh, um, you know, Michael Caine performance just in an animated form. Okay. I I enjoyed it. It was fun. All right. Moving forward, we have Journey to the Mysterious Island. Joel has the solo scene of this one, which stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Michael Caine, Josh Hutchinson, Vanessa Hudgens, and a bunch of other people. Screenplay by Brian and Mark Gunn, who are actually related to James Gunn, the uh, guy who did, um, Durr. Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) Yeah, to think about it for a minute. Um, this is, again, as a, as a, the fun kind of Saturday afternoon movie to watch with kids. Not a lot of, um, you know, substance to it or anything, but, it's just a good, fun kind of action comedy. You know, The Rock is in typical form, and uh, it's it's a sequel to um, the Journey to the Center of the Earth, the Brendan Fraser movie, uh, but totally different people involved. Mm. So, fun Saturday afternoon type of movie. Yeah. Also, 2012, Dark Knight Rises, Alfred Pennyworth, yet again. We've all seen it. We all love it. Uh, love is strong. This is the worst of the three. Uh, I still have to say, I mean, out of out of all of them, I still love Alfred. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he's not the weak link. Like, the, there are some plot elements and the whole opening scene. When it was uh, pointed out to me how bad the airplane scene was. But I mean, let, let, let's be honest. Being worse than the first two Batman movies is not exactly a damning, you know, statement. If you put any analysis into the airplane scene at the beginning, it, it is really hilariously bad. But it looked cool. Yeah. That's why I try not to analyze anything. Well, it was one of those things when I saw it, I was like, that was kind of weird. And then, like, it became a meme when someone, like, broke it down. It's like, okay, what are the characters even, like, trying to say here? And I thought about it and rewatched the scene. And I'm like, holy crap, that scene is awful. But moving on to, of all things, Now You See Me, which I hardly believe that myself and Pat are the only two people that have seen this. Dude, this movie, I have wanted to watch this so long. 
like sometimes Sarah and I will be flipping through crap on, on demand. And now you see me will come up. I'll suggest it and she'll shoot it down and we'll watch something else. <laughs> You'll watch Miss Congeniality again. I just have not gotten around to watching it on my own. I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to suggest it next gen con that we sit and watch it. I mean, honestly, <laughs> a group of magicians pull a heist. Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Ruffalo, Woody Harrelson, Michael Caine, Common, Dave Franco. It's it's the spectacle you expect it's going to be. Exactly. Do not expect to be able to go in there and, and analyze this movie and talk about like tropes and subplot and all that. You go in here, you take your brain out of your head and say, I'm going to see a bunch of magicians pull a heist. And that's what you're going to get. And you are going to have a great time doing it. I, I went to the theater to see this, and I do not, I don't regret paying money to see this movie. It's not a bad movie if you can just turn your brain off and just enjoy the, the spectacle. Yeah, I agree with that. Moving on, Interstellar. How am I? How have I not seen Interstellar? I don't know. I'm the only one of us. It's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Yeah, pretty good. Like it's another Christopher Nolan movie, and a lot of people like to shit on it. Um. I, I think it's a lot better than a lot of people give it credit for. I agree. But what about Michael Caine? He has a bit part in it. He's not, it's not a, well, he's a key part in the world, but in terms of raw screen time, it's, it's a little small. Yeah. It's, it's not his movie per se, right? He's a very important character that doesn't get a lot of screen time. It's sort of like John Lithgow in the same movie. Okay. Correct. It's it's something you should definitely see, but if you're seeing it for him, it's not it's not a Michael Caine movie specifically. Okay. So uh, Kingsman 2014, The Secret Service. All of us have seen this movie, and I really hope we're all like this is a lot of fun. It's really uh, dumb, but it is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I agree Holy with shit. it. I didn't. I I saw this with you, Mike. You introduced me to this one. Uh, I stayed over at your house before we went to Gen Con a few years back and I wanted to see it. I was interested, but you're like, we're going to watch a movie. We're going to watch this. I'm like, okay. And um, I, I, I've fallen in love with it. Uh, this one and the sequel. I uh, Kingsman just, on paper has no right being as good as it turned out to be. It's just so fun. Yeah. And Arthur is such a great character. Through the whole movie. I mean, I think Michael Caine kills it as the leader of the Kingsmen uh, through the whole thing. And this is one of the movies I can pop on the TV and watch it while I'm cooking dinner and type of thing. And I, re- I just enjoy it. So also 2015, The Last Witch Hunter. He plays Father Dolan. Uh, it's a Vin Diesel supernatural action flick. There you go. Vin Diesel, Elijah Wood. Rose Leslie, Michael Caine, Julie Engelbright. Uh, Michael Caine in this one is, ex- I mean, he's almost another version of Arthur. And I mean, not Arthur, of uh, uh, Alfred. Yeah. Uh, no, but it. Oh, my God. The Last Witch Hunter. That was a Vin Diesel movie. I've seen that. Jesus Christ. Man. For some reason, I thought that was Nicolas Cage movie. It, I, I haven't seen it, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, was, I, was, I forgot. It was the one that, that Vin Diesel made a movie about his uh, D&D character. That's why I went to go see yes. it. Yes. You're thinking of Season of the Witch, Josh. That's the Nicolas Cage movie. I just, Is that I the did one not... where he's like yeah. a long-haired witch hunter guy? Yeah. Yeah. I did not remember uh, Michael Caine being in this movie. And he's not in there a whole hell of a lot, but he's got like a one of those key plot 
pivot type characters in there. Uh, moving on. Now you see me too. He plays the same character. Electric Boogaloo. It's great. If you once again, take your brain out of your head, put it to the side and just watch it. Enjoy it. Uh, going in style. All of us have seen this because we have, yeah, we did a show on it. This is directed by Zach Braff. Yes, that's Zach Braff. I think all of us and all of us gave it thumbs up on this one, didn't we? Yeah, I saw it in the theater. I, I really like this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember correctly. We all did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like some of us were less enthusiastic than others, but none of us disliked it. Past that, uh, he did a v- uncredited voice cameo in the movie Dunkirk, which Christopher Nolan and Michael Caine seem to be, like I said, skipping off uh, hand in hand. I have not quite seen enough of Dunkirk to have put my initials by it. Like, it's one that I wanted to play video games when Sarah watched it. I've seen about 25% of it while getting drinks and stuff. Uh, 2018 was kind of a weird year for Michael Caine. We have uh, Dear, Dic- Dear Dictator, where he plays opposite Katie Holmes, Od- Odea Rush, Seth Green, and Jason Biggs. And then the voice of Lord Redbrick in Sherlock Gnomes, and then King of Thieves. Is that is the Sherlock Gnomes thing, is that a sequel? Is he playing the same character from Gnomeo and Juliet earlier? Yes. Yeah. I have no idea. In 2011. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I just scrolled up. Yeah, he's playing the same character. I'm not familiar with the Gnomeverse. I remember seeing the previews for it as like one of those where I could tell by the trailer it was a movie I never wanted to see. Yeah. And King of Thieves was a one that when I saw the trailer for it, I was like, ah, I got to wait for reviews. And then they weren't good. Oh, uh, this year, 2019, the movie Medieval. He plays Lord Borish. Uh, it's currently in post production. Uh, this is a upcoming Czech action historical drama film by the director Peter, Peter Jacquel, who outside of directing this and Ghoul and something called Janek, he's also the 1995, 1998, and 2000 European Judo Championship, he- championship heavyweight 7th and 5th place finalist. So if you don't like the way he handles his films, he just throws you off the set, literally? Oh, this is kind of neat. I'm I'm actually sort of looking forward to this one just because it's set in a very similar uh, period to uh, uh, Kingdom Come. Yeah, the rule of King Sigismund. Bless you. <laughs> Shut up. Famous historical. 2020, Michael Caine and Christopher Nolan skip off into the sunset again. The movie Tenet which is an upcoming action thriller film written, directed, and produced by Christopher Nolan. It stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, Dimple Capita, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Clemence Pose, Michael Caine, and Kenneth Bradnaugh. Oh, so it's not about David Tennant. I don't know. I, you know what? Honestly, it's a Christopher Nolan, Michael Caine flick. I'm in. Yeah, I get the, going through this list, I think I realized that I like Nolan a lot more than I thought I did. I ain't got no beef with them. Oh, and that Clemenza poesy. That's uh, Fleur Delacour from Harry Potter. Oh. All right. And he's got a couple other movies called Four Kids and It, where he plays Pasamid, And then another movie where he plays called Come Away, where he plays TBA. <laughs> <laughs> it's pronounced Tuba. Four Kids and It is not the, the third part in the It tri- trilogy. 
Yeah, well, uh, in Come Away, he's playing opposite Angelina Jolie. So uh, we'll see what, how that turns out. Okay, so apparently, yeah, Four Kids and It is based on a classic children's book that I've never heard of from 1902. Jeez. What's it called? Four Children and It. Well, there you go. So they updated it. They made it more hip. Oh, I see. Four Children and It was uh, produced and was uh, written in 2012. The 1902 book was Five Children and It. Ah. Oh, one of them died. Downsizing. Sorry, we're kids. We're going to let you go. So Michael Caine. Across the board, thumbs up or thumbs down? Oh, shut up. Honestly, Michael Caine is one of those actors that we have been with literally from day one. Uh, He's great at what he does, even when it's Jaws of Revenge. He's He's pretty much Hollywood royalty. Yeah, he really is. And he's our patron saint. Yep, all hail sexy Michael Caine. Nah. You will hail him. Hail, hail 1972, Michael Caine. Hail Michael Caine. I'll hail Michael Caine. I didn't get her off out of that guy. <laughs> so, Joel, what are we doing next week? <laughs> uh, you watch your ass. Buh, 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 buh. We're doing overboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you have. You made me watch Star Crash. You can watch Overboard. Fair enough. If you have any thoughts about your favorite Michael Caine flick or anything else we talk about here on 40 Going On 14, let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-699-727. Yep. And if you would like to hear our older stuff, again, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com. We're, as Pat says, if you can't find us, you ain't trying hard enough. Exactly. Yeah. Give us a call like Josh says. Tell us what your favorite Michael Caine movie is. Tell us anything. You know? Yeah, if it's Stonehurst Asylum, if it's Cars 2, we don't care. We won't judge you. Well, I will I will judge you. I might judge you, too. Yeah, all right, we're going to judge the crap out yeah. of you. Well, that's, that's what they call for, the judging. Yes, that's what we love. Maybe that's why we're not getting voicemails. <laughs> all right, well, folks, we will be back next week with our uh, Overboard. And uh, like I said, give us a call and thanks for listening.